Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Yes, kiddies. Welcome to Script Shop. (laughs) It is I, your haunted co-host, Jack. (laughs) Here to bring you frights and fun on this Halloween episode. I wish people could see your face. I'm contorting my arms like I've got some kind of condition. Spooky fingers and arms and his eyeballs are getting really big. It's our Halloween show. Hi, everybody. Oh, that clap's going to murder the editing on this, darn it. That's 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 the horror for me is clapping into the mic. I know you just have to make sure that you don't say anything that gets me excited enough to clap, right? <laughs> which is really difficult. I know. I just get excited about tons of stuff, honestly. I know. This is Allison. Yep, this is Allison. This is our podcast <laughs> where we bother each other and oh, contort truly. ourselves into weird ways. Uh, you know what the thing is though, Jack, is if if this is you bothering me, uh-huh. I'll take it. It's hilarious. I'm gonna have to, to step up my game a little bit then. <laughs> to what? Actually bother me? <laughs> I don't <know>. Good luck. <laughs> the the times I've made you squirm versus the times you've made me squirm, I'm gonna just say are strongly in my favor. It's it's next to nothing versus a lot. Yes. Yes. Yes, good. Let the records show mm-hmm. Allison is better at making Jack uncomfortable. Well, Je- nobody's better at making me uncomfortable than, than me. That, I'm the best at it. And, but you're very good. You're you're a very second. strong second. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Hi, everybody. This is our podcast where we talk to screenwriters about their screenplays and what they mean to them. Yes, we love diving into people's past, presents, and futures. In a spooky way. Um, That was almost a Christmassy way, like Christmas's past, mm-hmm. present, future, the wrong holiday. We're doing but, this in know, a spooky way. You know, yeah. Yeah, not the Christmas way, the scary way. So we love diving into the things that made people write what they've sent us today. In a spooky way. In a, <laughs> <laughs> and we like connecting their personal stories to the work that we see on the page. In a spooky way. So if you have something that you've written mm-hmm. and something that you would love to talk about on the show, I highly encourage that you go to scriptshopshow.com slash submit to send your screenplay our Way. Yes, and if you include the phrase that pays, hashtag hot burrito. And you know what? It's the spooky season, so hand out those burritos for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do it in a spooky way. <laughs> then your screenplay can get to the front of the line, and we can talk to you or any of the aspiring writers in your life that you know on the show. Yes. Uh, we are on social media, which is terrifying all the time, whether it's Halloween or not. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. And you can uh, check in with us. You can uh, friend us and follow us. And what, what, what's the other F? You find, friend, follow. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. You do all those things and be our be our digital friend so we don't have to walk through this scary internet world alone. You're really crushing it. I know. Today, we have a, um, we, okay, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give out too many details before I've given out my little description. We are so- going to keep you in the dark, <laughs> listeners. 
We have a script by Alex Silberblatt. It's called The Deal That Debbie Made One Night on a Dark Road in Allegheny County. <laughs> a 15-page Faustian choose-your-own-adventure cautionary tale. Ooh. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk about this screenplay with Alec today. Faustian meaning the devil. Ooh, can I tell you a good story? Yeah. So, uh, Is it a spooky one? <clears throat> a little bit. Okay. I got my tarot cards read a couple of weeks ago. Because why not? Okay. And I asked the lady about the current child, if we could tell anything about who this person was. The forthcoming second child. The second child. The second coming of the child. (laughs) The child. (laughs) Scary enough. Yeah. Ah, another one. Uh, Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) And um, she shuffled all the cards, Mm -hmm. flipped one over, looked at it, started laughing. She said, (gasps) I love this card. People never know what to do with it. She turned it around and it said, the devil. No. And it was a little goat man devil card. And then she had to proceed to tell me what it actually meant. You got you got the black Philip card. <clears throat> yes, I did. It had wow. a circle on it and it said, This is the baby that will kill you. <laughs> In a spooky way. <laughs> that was scary enough, honestly. <laughs> <Good grief. laughs> anyway. Wow. Yeah, so Faustian. That's uh that thank you for sharing that. She That's... she did tell me that this was not gonna be an evil child. That this was not gonna well, be she a Rosemary's she doesn't, that's the thing, but she's all, she's going off the cards and the mm. cards told her it's not a it's not a devil child. Uh folks, one other thing. We are on Patreon in a spooky oh, that's right. way. If you would like to sub- send us some uh, some money, if you if you like the show and are interested in supporting us on a financial level, that's an amazing thing. And I know I say it this way every time, but I'm really sincere about it. that would be cool. Thank you for thinking about it. Thank you for those of you that do it. We're eternally grateful. Uh that's awesome. Thanks a lot. Thank you very, very much. Uh, we should probably go to Alec, who's been sitting through voices and jokes and stories about tarot card reading for the last uh, five minutes or so. Alec Silberblatt, are you there? I'm here. Oh, are you there? <laughs> Let me reach across the void. <laughs> Alec, I'm I get, sorry. I can, I can feel it through the computer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Alec, where are you calling us from today? Uh, well, right now I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm doing a little bit of press for my one-man show that goes up uh, in the beginning of November. Yes, oh, wow. yes. Let's yeah. let's take a pause there because that's tell. a ton to talk about already. Yeah, that, yes. If my memory serves me well, aren't you from Pittsburgh? I sure am, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Born and raised. And then tell us about your journey through the creative and performing arts from <laughs> Pittsburgh. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I uh, I uh, got started doing theater here in Pittsburgh, doing community theater and all that, and then uh, uh, went to uh, University of Cincinnati CCM, where I met uh, a lovely person named Allison, uh, and uh, uh, and then from there I went directly to New York City, where I still live today. Um, okay. Yeah. And that and uh, you know all along the way I've acted. I've uh, written things i've directed things uh both theater and film and uh yeah now i'm talking to you (laughs) so this one man show okay so listeners we did allude to this now i'm just gonna be super clear about it alec and i went to school together and it was only (laughs) really through connecting through his current work that we've really gotten to start talking so this is very fun for me um so I know that you did a couple of one-man shows when you were in college. That's something that continues with you. What is the show you're doing now? Uh, it's called the Mon Valley Medium. Um, it's a little bit of a supernatural thriller. Um, but of course. Uh, yeah, it's sort of a, a through line there. If you, uh, you can um, you can draw. Um, and uh, 
Uh, it takes place in, in the Pittsburgh area, um, the Mon Valley being the Monongahela River Valley, um, just like Allegheny County, this this script that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's about a, a young uh, a young girl is murdered, and then um, uh, the, the victim seeks out the medium, a uh, local medium, to find out who did it. And then mm. um, when when the the child speaks from the dead um, through the medium, uh, uh, at, there are certain actions that take place that um, cause quite a bit of mayhem and uh, quite a bit of guilt to happen. Mm. Uh, and all of this is told through uh, the character I play named Mac, who um, is sort of uh, he's not the, he's not a family member, but he's like the best friend of the father of the girl. And he's recounting all of this that has happened and sort of his, um, part in it all. And, uh, uh, it's a, it's a 70 minute monologue play and it's a lot of fun. It's really, it's a kick-ass, funny, dark, uh, play i mean this is wild usually when i when i hear somebody talk about one man show it's usually some sort of semi-autobiographical uh you know story that they're that they're telling that's it maybe a little more personal maybe a little more reflective but this is this is a you're you're just full-blown telling a story you alone as all these different characters no i think just as uh, the one yeah, character it, Matt. yeah, right. yeah. yeah it, it's not autobiographical at all it's not about me it's a fictional story yeah. um and it's it's not i'm not even playing other characters i'm just playing one guy uh, Oh, 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 oh. Mm-hmm. What you said. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a monologue play. Yeah. Can I ask a little bit just about the ebbs and flows that you had to build into this kind of thing? Since it is just you talking, I mean, yeah. you're performing, but could you just talk about the peaks and valleys of how you compose something that's 70 minutes long with just one person? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, I started, when I started it, I had the, the story in mind. Um, I didn't really know where it would end. Uh, but I had the idea and the story in mind. And uh, what I was really focused on was specifics, was being as specific as possible and really describing everything that happened both internally and externally. Um, and that that was really the the challenge for the writing, you know, the first draft. Um, and then after that, uh, you know, me and my director, Maura O'Sullivan, who's uh, a lovely, amazing director, um, sort of crafted the the arc of the whole thing and um, uh, uh, and structured it where you know we sort of built to a midpoint and then once we hit that midpoint everything sort of changes it's this big hinge in the play and uh, and it's just about the consequences of what happens right in the middle of the of, of the of the piece um, so that that gave us sort of a trajectory to go on um, which uh, you know m- like like you're saying makes it uh, more interesting than just watching one person mm-hmm. uh, talk for 70 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I remember correctly, did you do a lot of studying with like a clown work? Yeah, I did. Yeah. In, in college, yeah, I went to clown school two two summers in a row. It's yeah, funny because I was like really afraid of how to phrase that without offending <laughs> someone. Did no, you go no, to yeah. clown Have you done a lot school? of clown work? I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds lame, but it's actually uh, I think it really great. helpful, and it's um, um, uh, it's some of the hardest stuff I've ever done. Um, I mean, it was they, that was where, you know, they would say, okay, uh, you, the job today, what we're doing today, all day is uh, walk on stage and be funny. And if you weren't funny, they would throw a chair at you. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was um, 
it was very difficult. What? <laughs> I was never funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to ask, like, what do you do in that kind of situation? Just drop your pants, yeah. right? That's exactly what I did. That's uh, exactly what I did. That's, that's the, the only a material. time I ever got a laugh. Was, I came on stage and I pulled my pants down and I got a laugh. And, <laughs> and then they were like, all right, keep being funny. And then oh. didn't have anything else to do. So <laughs> I got a chair thrown at me. Ugh. You know, I remember, though, that that kind of you have um, so much like stillness and patience and and uh, I, gosh, patience may be the only word for it in terms of performance where moments really really have full stories and i that could easily be i think attributed to kind of always always working for a goal in your storytelling there which i remember yeah. from college and here nowadays yeah I, I i really do want to get into the deal that debbie made on i know on one night we on the dark to, road we have in Allegheny to bring him County. back for the other show here i i just have one more question about your one-man show that you're, yeah. you're promoting right now what was the motivation to do it as a one-man show as opposed to plotting it out and having like a regular cast that's a great question. Um, I tried doing it as a as a regular play. I tried writing it as a feature screenplay. I tried writing it as a short screenplay, um, and uh, and none of it really stuck. You know, the the way I my process in writing is sort of I write quickly, um, but it, uh, only if everything uh, in the first scene works. Um, okay. Uh, so if everything in the first 10 pages works well, it's easy for me to continue. But if uh, the first 10 pages aren't going well and it's sort of plodding along, I know that there's something off. Um, and that's what it was for. I, I would write 10 pages of the play uh, for this this story or I would write 10 pages of screenplay. And it just I couldn't make it work in my head. But when I sat down and wrote it as a as a monologue, as someone telling the story, somehow it just sort of poured out of me and it worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. okay. So it was it was just sort of an instinctual, you know, almost a fallback sort of sort of uh, sort of deal that happened. In terms of writing, is this way of working this first 10 pages something that's developed with you throughout your performance life? When did writing really start taking shape for you? Um, well, uh, it was at the, at the end of, at the end of college, um, you know, uh, I really started writing because I, I, I wasn't finding plays that I was interested in. Um, uh, that I didn't, I didn't feel like the characters were anything that I would want to play. Um, uh, and so I started writing terrible, terrible plays mm-hmm. and, um, As one and does. then, uh, <laughs> um, the plays that if you look back on now, uh, they would not age well and they would be, um, uh, considered probably pretty terrible. Um, and, uh, uh, and then when I got to New York, you know, I I found that I had a lot of time on my hand. You know, I was, I was working nights at a nightclub, um, nightclub slash bar. And so I had all this time during the day. And so I started going to, I went to a, uh, a playwriting, uh, course, um, a 10 week playwriting course. And I wrote uh, my first like decent play, um, and from there, I met um, a playwright named Lucy Thurber, who's an incredible playwright. And she sort of, um, for a long time in New York, took me under her wing. And um, I uh, assisted taught with her. And, uh, uh, you know, she helped um, uh, facilitate readings and workshops of my stuff. And I really, you know, practiced, um, practiced at writing plays and all this. And that's where this idea of, like, if if the first 10 pages don't work, I'm just going to... I'm either going to start over or I'm going to try something else. Um, uh, it, it, it was never sort of a conscious thing. It's just sort of something that instinctually 
uh, uh, developed. Um, does that answer the, the question? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. You're just working with what you've got and letting it roll as it goes along. What would you say are like in terms of like content and, and, and storylines? I mean, your, your one man show has a bit of a, a macabre vibe to it. Uh, yeah. The script that we're talking about uh, tonight certainly does as well. Is it do you sort of is that like your main wheelhouse? Um, it certainly is now. I mean, uh, my my voice has really um, matured um, in the seven years I've, I've had in New York. And um, sort of when I discovered um the regional, uh, the regionalism of, of writing about Pittsburgh. A lot of my stuff takes place in Pittsburgh and, um, uh, takes place in sort of this, uh, this, uh, uh, not, not incredibly realist, uh, not like, uh, uh, an actual neighborhood, but a, a make-believe neighborhood in Pittsburgh, um, that I've, that I've created in my head, um, sort of like, you know, uh, Stephen King's Castle Rock yeah. or, or something like that. Um, where anything is possible, you know what I mean? Where, where I'm not bounded by the, um, uh, 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 the things that have happened in my life or that would happen in my life. Does that make sense? Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm allowed to like, my imagination is allowed to, uh, sort of go free. And over the past like couple years, I've been really interested in, um, uh, certainly like morality plays and, and putting characters into positions where they have to make moral decisions. And, um, uh, if you're, if you're writing plays like that or writing content like that, you're going to end up writing about the devil and about heaven and about ghosts and, and vampires and all this, because that sort of, all of that stuff sort of fits together quite nicely. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of how I get, got, got to where I'm, where I am right now, at least. Well, speaking of putting a character in a position where they have to make a moral choice, let's talk about Debbie yes. and the deal that Debbie made. Jack, you want to do a little bit of a descripto for the listenerinos? Yes, I, I'll do that descripto. So this is a, this is a story about uh, Debbie and her husband, Terry, who are, I don't want to say that they're garbage people, because that, that's a little bit too far. But, but for the record, I was saying to Jack before this, because I get to read Debbie and I was like, Jack, I just love when people write garbage characters that I can play. <laughs> I really love playing people who are flawed. Yes, that's that's the be- that's the much better way of saying it. They're they're I mean they're 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 flawed human beings as 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 we all are. Mm-hmm. They have their normal date night out at some uh, little divey sort of restaurant where I think Terry always gets the meatloaf, and Debbie has a few too many drinks. And as she has insisted on driving them back for the night, she gets into a ridiculously awful car wreck that kills her husband, and then a car comes rolling up with a. Uh, rather interesting, mysterious individual uh, who gets out and knows more than he should and says more than anyone would actually say. And, and I feel like this is a good segue <laughs> into our reading. We should today. probably jump into the selection because that's where that's where that's we're where all we teed up. Right up. Yeah, yeah. Alec, do you have anything to add to that little that little setup there? No, that that's great. You did a great job. <laughs> all right. Uh, they do have a dog named Peanut, who's a who's a pit bull, by the way. Yeah, he's a very important character. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, listeners, if you're following along, this picks up in the middle of page five. Alex is going to be doing the action headings for us today. I am going to play Debbie, and then Jack is going to be playing Man. I'm playing Man. Hi, I'm Man. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alec, whenever you're ready, feel free to take it away. Headlights. An older model Ford comes down the road toward the wreck. Debbie stands, frozen with fear, her phone still in her hand. The car comes to a stop on the opposite side of the street. The door opens and a man gets out. 
The man looks to be in his 50s or so with pockmarks on his face and graying, greasy hair. A cigarette dangles from his chapped lips. He approaches Debbie, not looking for cars coming in either direction. He tosses his cigarette to the pavement in a shower of sparks. You all right? You got car trouble? The man walks up to Debbie, his eyes gleam in the dark. I got in an accident. That you did. The man smiles a toothy smile and then continues past Debbie to investigate the wreck. He walks down onto the muddy, broken ground and finds Terry's body. Oh, man. This ain't good. This ain't good at all. The emotions Debbie has suppressed start to well up in her eyes. The man makes his way back around to Debbie. (sighs) That guy has seen better days, I'll tell you that. Debbie looks at the man with big eyes. What were you drinking? What? What? Could smell you down the road. Huh? Huh? What were you drinking? Iron City? Rolling Rock? You gotta have a lot of them to get as gone as you are. What was it, bourbon? Oof, I love bourbon. Whiskey. Whiskey! Old Faithful. Beer, too? Debbie nods, confused. Whiskey and beer. Deadly combo tonight, huh? Damn. Well, what do you want to do? Huh? What do you want to do? Debbie looks down at her phone, now wet from the rain, her thumb still hovering over the nine. You want to call it in? I, um, get a, a, uh, an ambulance. Ambulance ain't going to help him none. Huh? He's deader than Elvis, and Elvis, Elvis is pretty fucking dead, I'll tell you that. Debbie presses the nine on the cell's call pad. Listen, listen, you can call it in, get the emergency vehicles here, even though they'll do him no good. You'll go to jail, court hearing, picture in the paper, or, or you can wait here for the woman who just filled her tank at the 24-hour get-go around the bend there to come driving by and see all this. See you here, see him there. She'll be coming by in about six minutes or so. She's a slow driver, doesn't like driving at night. And she'll call it in, no question. You'll go to jail, court hearing, all that. Or, and listen to me now, or you could ask me to help your drunk ass cover this up. You could do that too. Mm -hmm. Debbie. You killed a man tonight. Your husband, Debbie, you killed him. Debbie looks horrified that this man knows her name. And his only crime was getting in the car with you, which was fucking stupid because you're obviously drunk on that whiskey and beer, but that's all he did, get in the car with you driving. And now he's dead. And I don't think being stupid and getting in a car with you should be an offense garners the death penalty, do you? What what are you talking about? Debbie is sweating and looking sicker and sicker. You want me to help you, Debbie? The man gets closer. Because I can make it like this never happened. He puts a hand on Debbie's shoulder. You want me to bring him back? Debbie looks at the man who's smiling wide now. You want me to bring him back from the dead? Debbie pushes away from the man. Fuck you. What the... The man grabs Debbie by the sleeve, pulls her in. You know I can. You know who I am. You know what I can do. Think about the consequences, Debbie. 
She pulls away from him, breaking his grasp. Think about your mother, Mama Doris, reading about what you did. Think about your poor dog, Peanut. They put that dog down. He's a pit bull, Debbie. No one will want him. He's aggressive, and they will put him down. You want me to help you, Debbie? Do you want me to bring Terry back? Debbie doesn't move, her eyes shifting from the man to Terry's crumpled body. That is the love of your life, lying there dead, isn't it? High school sweethearts, right? I'll fix everything. It'll be like it never happened. You just gotta ask, Debbie. You just gotta ask. Her mouth twitches with her request. I, um, can you bring him back? Sure. Sure I can, Debbie. Deborino, sure I can. You want me to? Debbie slowly nods her answer. Yes. End scene. I hate having to stop it right there. It's because you're having so much fun being the devil. I'm having a ton of fun. I'm like, huh, 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 baby Olive over here. And you're like, (laughs) 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 So, Alec, just uh, because I I don't want to leave people hanging too bad. So, you know, obviously he's the devil and they're obviously whatever he wants. Obviously. Obviously, whatever he's going to do comes with a price. And the price is Terry's soul. If he's going to bring him back, he will have a claim on Terry's soul. And and, and, and Debbie still agrees to it anyway. And you put a, a bit of a twist on it in that he says, "Okay, bada bing, bada boom, you get your husband back and I'll be back next week to collect him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's yeah, talk exactly. <laughs> let's talk about consequences here. Why do you have her agree cuz I feel like I may know the answer, but I want to hear it from the mouth of the writer here. Why does she agree to get him back if he's going to be collected so quickly? Uh well, he does she doesn't know um uh when when she agrees to it. Um he she, you know, he 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 just says uh, I'll have his soul, and she still she still makes the the deal because wouldn't you? Um, yeah, if and, I don't uh, have any other choice. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and then he springs it on her that he's going to come back next week, um, and she's sort of thrown for a loop. Um, uh, so yeah, is it really a moral question if she doesn't have a choice? Just hypothetically. Uh, well, she certainly has a, has a choice. She could accept the consequences. Mm-hmm. She could go to jail. She could have her dog taken away and put down. She could have her life ruined. Mm-hmm. You can make that decision. Um, uh, so, she certainly has a choice. She could say, "No, I, I don't want you to bring him back. I want to. I'm going to call the cops." But she decides not to. Well, do you think that her character is the characterization of her and kind of their life circumstances and where they are at this point leads her one way or another? Like, uh, if she was a different person, would she still make the same choice? Um, I mean, that's a great question. Um, uh, in, in my opinion, yeah. I mean, I think Debbie has probably been on on the path to making a choice like this. And, and you know, when you get to the end, you can sort of decide whether she's happy that um, Terry's gone or not. Right. Um, uh, in terms of performance and what the director wants to say. But, and how um, cute the dog is, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, would, would Gandhi make this the same decision? I don't know. Um, would, you know, would someone of a higher moral character make the same decision that Debbie made? I don't know. Mm Um, I I know that, you know, it's a question that certainly if I was faced with something like this, it would be a a horrible, horrible decision, but I would probably go with what Debbie did. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) 
it, well, and it's interesting too the way that it, it sort of goes. So there's the so he the devil says, okay, I'll, he'll, you're, you got him back, no problem, and I'll pick him up in a week. And then all of a sudden it cuts to black, and Debbie wakes up in bed, and Terry is sleeping down on the couch like she told him that he was going to do because he because of everything from before. And so for the next week, oh, that was just a bad dream. There's no like effort on her part to really live it up in this time that she has with her husband because I mean that's an insane thing. The devil came Except and brought my does, husband back. She does say she loves. Him. That's true, but does she mean it or not? We don't know. And 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 her, you know, her blood still runs cold when this week later, when they've gone out again on their normal date night, the man shows up and says, "Okay, I'm taking him with me." Like I thought that was an interesting choice for her, not to no feeling of obligation to really make the most of this or to try to better your lives in any way. They just kind of keep on going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that was set up as sort of like the midpoint of the of the whole thing. You know, uh, they have a conversation at the beginning um, where we sort of set up that she has bad dreams when she drinks yeah. and tosses and turns. And that's why Terry is sleeping on the couch. He, he doesn't want her to wake her up in the middle of the night, wake him up in the middle of the night. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, she, she wakes up, she thinks it's a dream. She always has these dreams, but for some, you know, when these powerful dreams happen, you sort of, it makes you rethink, you know, sort of who you are and where you are in life. And so she goes down she says, I love you to Terry. And, um, and moves on with life. Like nothing's going to happen. Like everything was like, everything is fine. And then, you know, just like that, it, it, it turns out to be real. And, and her, the consequences of her decision hit her for the first time. And I, I think that that's a fascinating moment is, mm-hmm. is when, when, you know, when the, when the mobster is finally caught, when, um, uh, when the serial killer is, is, is shown like, uh, you left the fingerprint here, you know? Um, and they're, you know, all the consequences just slam into them. Um, I know for myself, when that happens to me, when I'm caught in a lie or, or when I'm, uh, uh, caught doing something, you know, that, that I, I'm going to regret later. And, and, and it, and I'm, I'm hit with that, that sinking feeling is something that, I'm fascinated with, um, and fascinated to see if other people have that feeling, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's sort of what, what it was about. Mm. So something that I'm, I'm fascinated with, especially when it comes to stories like this and having a character in a story who is the devil from a creative standpoint, from you as the writer and as, as the creator of this story, what sort of things are you considering when you're constructing this character through his words and his gestures and his facial expressions? Cause I mean, at this point it's kind of on, on some level, you got it, you know, that it's all been, it's, it's all, all been done, been done right? I, how do you, what, what, what sort of considerations do you make to try to make this version of the devil unique to you? Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know that I ever thought about making it unique or, or um, thought about all the different times it's been done. Um, I think if I thought like that, I, I wouldn't have written it because um, uh, it is incredibly intimidating. Yeah. Um, uh, I just uh, I love the idea of having a character who there's no rules for them. Like there's you, you can they can speak however you want them to speak. Um, they can be as mean as you want them to be. They can be as charming as you want them to be because you know, there are no rules, right? There's, and it, he's, you know, in a sense, pure evil or, um, uh, uh, or, or however you want to think about it. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, in, in putting it together, like, you know, he's got all these big chunks of dialogue that are just so chock full of 
fun things to say for the actor. Um, yeah. Like later he says uh, something, you know, when he's picking up, uh, uh, when he's, when he's picking up Terry at the end, he says, you know, you're going to be gumming coal stones yeah. for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no character. You can't write another, a real character and have them say something like that. You know what I mean? Like uh, the only character you can write to have them say something that, awesome is something supernatural you know right right. Um, and so it's a real to me it was a real freedom you know to to have have a a character like this where i can i can do all the crazy things i've always wanted to i've i've always wanted to hear someone say something like that you know what i mean um and so you it gives you um uh a license to do that alec do you are there like religious considerations do you believe in the devil um, I don't know. I mean, that I, I, he, he, that sort of question permeates all of my work. Um, uh, I was raised Jewish, so uh, okay. um, there's no, there is a hell in Judaism um, uh, based on a on a on a hill right by Ju- uh, uh, Jerusalem where they used to um, uh, 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 burn uh, uh, babies alive, and that that was like what started the idea of hell. Okay. Um, uh, it's called uh, Gehenna, the the Hill of Gehenna. I didn't know this. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. It's a, you look it up. It's it's pretty awesome. Okay. Um, I mean, it's terrible, but it's right. pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> and uh, 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 so, I mean, so, but I, I do think about these. Things. I mean, I, I think anyone who's human thinks about what's coming after this. What's what's gonna uh, happen after this? And even though I was I was raised Jewish, and you know, uh, certainly, you know, uh, my friends who were raised. Uh, in the Catholic Church, um, have a quite a different uh, sense of what comes next and and judgment and and uh, 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 all of that sort of thing. There is an idea of is there punishment that comes next? Like, am am I going to be punished for the things I do in this life? Um, uh, and if so, can I get rid of those those sins? Or um, uh, there, I, you know, th- those those questions are always in my mind and um and uh uh i I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone um even people who who say they're atheists uh uh, who who wouldn't think that way you know what i mean yes yeah this actually reminds me of we had a very young writer on the show a while ago yes (laughs) this is a hilarious fun thing to draw from but there was this guy (laughs) uh mr calhoun who came on the show how old is he 12 he was he was a child for sure he wrote this story called Bat Out of Hell, which is about this bat named Batty who got sentenced to a life in hell. And he asks all these moral questions along his – Yeah. He's trying to get out of hell because he's he's been wrongfully sentenced there. Yeah, he feels like he doesn't belong there. And he meets people who have, like, stolen because their children were starving. And mm. they're also in hell. And he starts asking the questions, yeah. like, how is this even right? Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's beautiful. So I really recommend – that you check out that script, Bat Out of Hell, written by, um, you know, a little fella. Yeah. Just asking himself the same questions. The same questions that you're really. struggling with here, yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. funny. It's a lifelong struggle with those questions. Well, you know, it's a big deal, and it's always been a big deal in the conversation of humans. Well, and it's funny to me, too, just I think there's a, a, the idea of 
wanting to get away with stuff you did, right? If you're trying to avoid some sort of, you know, eternal sentence of pain and damnation or whatever, the idea of you're not trying to say you didn't do these things. You're just trying to avoid punishment for them. And so I I think through that lens, there's an interesting level of, uh, on a human level of just like wanting to maybe, I don't know, like escape accountability or not, you know, just trying to avoid punishment in general, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, uh, in, this, in the script and in the, in, 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 uh, the deal that Debbie made, you know, the, the, the whole idea of your actions actually are, you're not damning yourself, really, you're damning someone else. You're, yeah. you're damning the person that you, you have committed yourself to. Wouldn't he be um, better dead? This, this layer of, of, uh, um, uh, horribleness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because when you do think about it in that sense, it might've been better for him to die because then at right. least he could have continued on a fate that was his own. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and there not- were other drafts. There were other drafts where I tried to make him, you know, really nice. And so it was, it was pretty certain that he would go to heaven. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that became too complex to do in 15 pages, but, um, uh, uh, you know, that, that was also, you know, a part of the the thing was like, you know, this guy, he, he's never done anything wrong. He's probably not going to go to hell. You know, he would, he would probably, uh, you know, go to the afterlife that is nice and, and, and lovely, but, uh, Debbie chooses otherwise for him. Is there an attempt at the very end when she, when, when the devil has taken Terry's soul and Terry's dead and it's, it, it looks like a heart attack and everything and Debbie's gotten home and she's like crying and she's talking to the dog saying, telling Peanut that, you know, dad's not going to come home anymore. And she's like, and she closes out by talking about how I'm going to, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to, I'm going to, mommy's going to stop drinking. Is that, is that an attempt at her trying to pay some kind of penance or try to live right yeah. from here on out? I think so. I think it's her, it's, it's her way of thinking about it. Yeah. I think it's, it's the first step towards something. I mean, who knows if it lasts. I know. But, um, but that's the thing is that uh, it's almost as if she chose the dog over him at that yeah. point, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but it, wouldn't you though? <laughs> I mean, I suppose it depends on how much meatloaf Terry's putting down on a weekly basis. <laughs> Let's talk about Debbie for a minute. What's the inspiration for her character particularly? Um, uh, I don't know that, I don't know if there's an inspiration as much as just, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, I mean, you guys talked about, uh, these two as garbage people. And I think that's a pretty accurate assumption of, uh, who they are. You know, they're people that, that, uh, went into life thinking it was going to be one way and it turned out to be another way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that when that happens, there's quite a bit of resentment and there's quite a bit of, um, uh, uh, and, and you feel stuck in a lot of ways. And I think that Debbie is someone who is stuck, mm-hmm. uh, um, in how she thinks about the world and who she is, you know, she's probably someone who I'm going to go on my diet next week. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of, that kind of person. Um, I also, I mean, I also just have a personal crusade against attractive people in film and on, on stage. Mm-hmm. I'm sick of seeing, um, people who are inhumanly attractive in uh, movies where, and in situations where they, they would never be there. Um, uh, when I go to work every day on the subway, I never see someone who is inhumanly attractive. And I live in New York city where there's models and actors and they're all going to work and stuff. I never see those people. And so I'm, I, I'm sick of seeing them. I, and so I, I write, I write for people who look real who are 
who are, um, uh, I, I say this word a lot and I get flack for it, but it's the truth, who are ugly, who are, um, who are you know, you, you look at them and, and, and they're ugly. And I don't think that ugly is a bad word. I think that uh, ugly is, is actually a, a, a truthful word. People spend millions of dollars to get away from ugly. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, uh it, somehow it, that is more beautiful to me than, than, um, these people who have everything, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there's, yeah. there's one particular line Debbie has that when I was reading the screenplay, I was like, mm, I love this lady. And here it is listeners. It's you're sleeping on the couch is where you're sleeping. Cause you smell and I hate your fucking face. <laughs> And I yeah, hate to exactly. say that that line really resonates with me, but it really does. Yeah. <laughs> you should have seen the way her head was gyrating around when she said that line. Yeah, I've never said anything like that to my beloved, but I'm telling you what, I've probably felt it in one way or another. Oh, for sure. We all have. Everyone yeah, has. Everyone's I love felt it. that about someone. Well, and that's the thing, too, like if you're talking about when people feel trapped and if you're in a relationship and you feel trapped, that it, it's just nothing but resentment for the other person and blame because you, it's easier to blame this other person that you're stuck with than do any level of like self-reflection and taking responsibility for yourself. And if Debbie acted irresponsibly to get into the situation that she's in in the script, then clearly that's very much in her wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I got to share another line. This is actually Terry. <laughs> this is Terry talking to her. He mm -hmm. says, you always are having nightmares when you drink. Wake up, flailing, middle of the night, and that one time you puked on me. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah. That's real people stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's re it, That's exactly what it is. It's real people stuff. That's mm -hmm. what really happens. Mm -hmm. I love it. So you say you don't have, like, any specific inspiration. How did she just even materialize for you? Like, how did this become her story, this deal that she made on a dark night in Allegheny County? I mean, like, like the, the, like we were talking about with the one man show earlier with Mon Valley medium, um, uh, this, this had its start, you know, you know, two years prior to what the script is now as, uh, as another short with a guy named Dan who made a similar sort of deal to get his wife back. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and so over those two years, it's sort of like, how can I make it, uh, more intense, more, uh, you know, um, taught, uh, what can make the, the situation even more, um, uh, filled with, uh, uh, emotion and, and all this. And, and so along the way it turned from Dan to Debbie and, uh, and, or from, yeah. And, and then, uh, uh, and Debbie and Terry and, and all, you know what I mean? Like it just sort of evolved into who Debbie is. I think I even wrote it as a play at one point and, yeah. um, and you know, it was a hundred pages of just Debbie and Terry going back and forth. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, she just sort of evolved into who she is now. And, um, you know, a lot of, at least in my mind, a lot of what screenwriting is, is just solving problems. And so, you know, how do you make the ending make sense? How do you make the the midpoint makes sense. Well, she's got to, Debbie has got to be a certain way. You know, mm -hmm. she's got to be someone who has overconfidence in herself when she um, is drunk driving. She's never had a DUI and, and she's made it. So who is that kind of person? Right. right. Who is, who is the kind of person who would brag about uh, uh, being a great drunk driver? Well, Debbie, this person, someone who would say these kind of things and make these sort of decisions and um, decide the things she decides at the end. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so it's like, how do you, 
how do you solve problems? And, and that's, to me, that's how characters are created because characters are just a series of choices of series of decisions. Um, that's how you, that's what develops a character. Mm. So with this story, particularly, I know that you're in the middle of promoting your one man show and I'm sure you've got runs of it and hopefully lots of performance festivals to go to as well. But do you have plans for anything with the deal that Debbie made? Do you see this being produced? Would you be interested in seeing it produced? And what do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love it to be produced. Um, I'm, I'm not in a, you know, I've done, I, I've done the whole thing of crowdfunding and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, getting money that way and financing and then self-financing and making movies that way. And I've made several movies in my apartment on my iPhone with my friends and, to varying degrees of success. And, um, uh, this one is a little bit, uh, you know, all of, all of the ones that have come before it, I've written, you know, to be made on a shoestring budget. This one is a little bit, you know, uh, a little bit more expensive what with the car accident and all this. Um, uh, uh, and so, uh, in all the different locations. And, and so I, I you know, I, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm sort of more, uh, focused on the Mon Valley medium right now and the, and the performances on that, uh, so I don't really have any plans other than to submit this to, you know, screenplay competitions and festivals and see how far it gets and all that sort of thing. Yeah, okay. Uh, and if someone is interested in uh, producing it and doing the 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 legwork that is not fun of getting money, um, uh, you know, call me. <laughs> well, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch? Yeah, uh, well, I've got a website. It's just at my name, alexsilverblatt.com. And uh, that has all of my contact information. You can email me from there. Um, and you can see all the other stuff I'm into. That's great. Perfect. Hey, Alec, thank you for taking the time to come in and talk with us about this screenplay. It's really fun diving into your mind a little bit more. Yeah, thank you. This has been a real pleasure. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Yeah, it's super cool, really. And thank you for taking the time to send it out. If you are looking to enter it into screenplay competitions and stuff, thank you for sending it to this independent film festival and uh, sending it, uh, having us here on the show. It's really great. Yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Well, there's Alec. Quite a twist, wasn't it, friends? You weren't (laughs) expecting such an intense conversation. (laughs) Very thoughtful, provocative conversation. Do you have a favorite uh, version of the devil on, like, film in a in a movie or whatever? Do I have a favorite version of the devil? I'm putting you on the spot because I know I for sure have my. my, So there's a there's a few, but my my favorite one for sure, just because it was so different from everything else I've seen before, is in the movie Constantine that Keanu Reeves. Stars in Peter Stomare uh, plays the devil, and he's just—he's such a, a a weird, like twitchy, full of just like it, it, there's like a there's like a sensual element to him, but it's not like inviting in any way. It's just twisted and gross, and it, he's weird and interesting with it, and it's just so different than any other version of the devil I've seen before. It was real. I was so blown away by how unique it was. I really like the Elizabeth Hurley version oh, of the God, devil. Oh, God, yes. What is that movie? Oh, shoot. She's just so funny and, and a woman and super sexual and just wonderful um, with Brendan... Brendan Fraser. 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 That would... Bedazzled. Yeah, that's hilarious. That's a that's a very fun movie. That's I'll, probably the only version of the devil I can actually stomach, other than the one in my belly right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a callback, folks. Oh, this episode is gonna make my mom so uncomfortable. I just know it. Yeah. 
Sorry, Mom. Yeah, sorry, Mom. Sorry, Baby Debbie. Uh, folks, if uh, if you are dealing with a, an internal devil that you've turned into a script in some way as a way to get that darn old devil out of get you. Get your own baby out into the world. Uh, you should uh, send it to us, and you can go on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. You can also find us, friend us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm at your bestie Westie on Twitter. And I am at Script Shop Jack. Please somebody talk to him so he stops acting this way. I'm not going to stop <laughs> acting this way for the rest of the night. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is how I am now. Well, I'm going to get out of here before you suck my blood. Uh, 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, One. <laughs> Two. <laughs> I wish I had a lightning sound effect queued up. That's like the one thing I failed at tonight. I'm sure you could edit one in if you needed to. Cue the lightning. There we go. So, friends, we've had such a great time with you this week, and we can't wait to talk with you more online and in next week's episode. I just butchered that. I'm just going to say this again. No, I'm not. I'm not cutting this out. <laughs> You're so terrible. This is your curse now. <laughs> so until next week, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for-